thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Doing well? Hey, my name is Nathan. I am so excited to welcome you to Radiant Church. We are, Pastor David said it, we are in a series called Battlegrounds, and it is always an honor to get to share the Word of God with you. It is a privilege that we, I take so seriously, and I just believe that, that today God has a word for you. And why are we in this series? Well, because as Christians, as Christ followers, there are three different planes that we find ourselves in battles on. And we have to understand what type of battleground we're on so that we can see the pathway to victory. So if you show up to play pickleball in like in a small group and you show up with a football helmet and shoulder pads and cleats on, you're automatically at a disadvantage, right? If you show up to play basketball dressed for golf, you're not going to do well. So as Christians, it's important for us to understand the battleground that we're on so that we can have victory in Christ. Amen? Amen. So we're going we're gonna to jump into predominantly Romans chapter 7 and then Ephesians chapter 4. But before we get there, I want to read the, the central verse for this series, and then we're going to pray. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Hi, I'm Nathan, and I'm your friend. Verse 2, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. This is culture. This is what Pastor David spoke on last week. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, and those who are disobedient. This is, this is Satan. This is our adversary. This is the devil. Pastor David's going to talk about this next week. And in verse 3, it says, And all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's our, what we're going to talk about today, our flesh. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we, we thank you for your word that is not passive, that your word, it's alive, that it's active, that your word can divide the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, that through the, through the truth in your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. So God, I pray that you would minister to us through your Holy Spirit today. Speak to us and change us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen? amen? Amen. So like I said, we have this, this battle on three different planes, and we have to understand what plane we're facing a battleground on, which one we're fighting on, because culture is predominantly moving beyond just post-Christian into an anti-Christian state, which means when we're engaging culture, we have to do it specifically and intentionally. And the battle that we face with culture is going to be different. And the, the weapons and how we engage with this needs to be specific to what we're trying to accomplish. And then all through the Gospels, we see Jesus talking about the truth of spiritual warfare, 
that we do have a real enemy that is coming against us. And oftentimes you see Jesus talk about the power of prayer and of fasting when we're facing spiritual battles. Even the name Satan means the adversary. So we have the spiritual battle that we face as well, this battleground that we're on. And sometimes the battle is inside of us. Sometimes the battle is so close to us that it's literally inside. That we have a battle with our flesh and we have to change how we engage the battling of the flesh so that it's specific and intentional so that we can have the victory we have been given in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So how were my 80s kids at? Who grew up in the 80s? Saturday morning cartoons. Let's go. Wow, you are fired up. So you learned this in the 80s on Saturday morning cartoons. Anyone who watched G.I. Joe, you've learned this. At the end of every episode, the G.I. Joe would go, and now you know, and you guys are way better than the first service, just so you know. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. We have to know what battle we're facing if we're going to experience victory. We've got to be playing the right sport. We got to know the rules of the game or else we can't win. We've got the world and culture. We've got the devil, our enemy, and sometimes we've got ourselves. I told you I was your friend today. And we, we hate that, right? We don't love that. We, we don't like admitting the fact that the, sometimes the problem is inside of us because that takes a level of vulnerability that we're not really comfortable with. We don't like being vulnerable. We don't like the, we don't, we're not comfortable with that idea because in, implicitly, if we're vulnerable, it means that we're weak, that we, we have to humble ourselves. We don't, we don't like that concept because it brings us this, this feeling of fear. That if I'm vulnerable, if I'm open, if I'm honest, I could get hurt. So we kind of press down that vulnerability. We press that down and we hide it. And in hiding it, we actually weaken our ability to have victory. Because it's in the place of vulnerability that we're able to see the pathway forward to victory over our flesh. The path to victory is found in vulnerability. Paul said this in Romans 7. Um, this is... I love the author. I, I love Paul. He's, it's, it's, anyway, so I'm going to just jump straight into verse 15. In chapter 7 of Romans, he says, I do not understand what I do. I hope that's given you as much life today as that's given me. Paul's going, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. For what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that, God, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Can we just pause and just, can I just get an applause for reading that, all those do's the first time 
You need to find someone who loves you like Paul loves commas. Paul is this hero in the faith, and he's going, he's going, I don't understand what I do. Paul, who's attributed by most theologians as the third wisest person who's ever walked the earth. You've got Jesus, you've got Solomon, and then you've got Paul. I mean, this, that's a good grouping. That's like, I don't care what you scored on your ACT, we're not there. Like, it's that moment, and Paul is going, I don't understand this. I don't know why I do what I do. I don't know. And I think if we're honest with ourselves that we have these moments in our lives all the time. So I have three kids. I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a four-year-old. And several weeks ago, we were having dinner, just normal dinner, nothing crazy. We were just sitting at the table. And somewhere in the recesses of one of my child's minds, they decided that I'm going to drink my milk sideways. Now that mental image you just got is accurate. <laughs> and out of nowhere, one of my children who will remain nameless turned their head sideways and then poured milk trying to get it into their mouth. Now, you know where this is going. I, I know this, these are just my children. Your children would never do something like that. They have their impulse control completely just matured and perfect. My children were still working. It's okay. But turned his head sideways. It's a boy. And poured the milk into his mouth. And in that moment, the milk went everywhere. The milk went on him. The milk went on the table. The milk went on the plate and the food. All The milk went everywhere. And I, like the loving father I am, looked and said, why did you do that? And he looked at me like this. I don't know. <laughs> we have these moments with our children, but I think if we're honest, we have these moments. So at 39 years old, there's still moments in my life where I, I go, I, why did I do that? I don't want to do that. I, I, I want to please God. I want to serve God. Why did, why, but why did I do that? And this is not in like the, the humble brag kind of way, like I didn't want to work out this morning, but I did it anyway. This is not those moments. This is not like the, oh, I got to pick up the sticks from my yard because someone's got to be the adult. No, this is not like that. This is like, I know what my goals are. I know who I want to become in Christ. I know the person I want to be. I know where I want to go. And yet I choose a different way. I want to be healthy. Pass me the cheesecake. Like, I don't like, what's that? This that moment where we don't, we do what we don't want to do. I didn't want to go that direction. And yet I did. These little moments of transparency and honesty where we go, I know what I, I want to do, but I didn't do it. And I don't know why. You see, knowing what to do is not the problem usually. It's being able to do it in real time. Like, I know what to do. I know how to serve God. I want to serve God. I want to go this direction. And yet, in the moment, I find myself going the complete opposite direction. Why did I do that? I don't know. You 
see, there's something inside of us that left unchecked will pull us away from God and move us towards sin. There's this battle that's raging inside of us that pulls us away from God and closer to sin. Paul, in Romans chapter seven, he continues this thought. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's a battle that is raging inside each and every single one of us that we are, we are literally being pulled in two different directions. One way to serve God, one way to go toward God, one way to go toward sin. And we are wrestling, we are stuck in this tension of which way am I going to go? I want to go this way, but I don't know why I just did that. We have this war that is the corrupted versus the created. That I want to walk in purity, but I click this hashtag and then that hashtag and then that hashtag and I went down this rabbit hole and I don't know why. I want to, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to live peaceably among all men like the Bible says, but something happens and I snap at work and I'm yelling at a coworker or I'm frustrated with my family and I'm, I'm raising my voice at them and I'm doing all these things. I want to be content and grateful for all that God has given me. And yet every time I start feeling stressed out, I max out my credit cards. Because I'm trying to fill this need with shopping. I want to be grateful. And yet so frequently, I find myself complaining about the things that don't go my way. Now, I know what you're thinking. Come on, Nathan, aren't you just being a little too intense? I've heard that before. I, I know I'm biased toward intense. I get that. Nathan, aren't you being a little legalistic? My response is this. My response is that we don't drift toward holiness. We don't drift. We, we drift toward compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated somehow. We champion a lack of self-control and call it relaxation. And until we're willing to become vulnerable and admit that the problem is inside of us, that it's with us, like Paul says, we limit the ability of the grace of God to heal us, to free us and to empower us to live in the victory that Christ has purchased for you and for me. Oh, Nathan, I'm, this is just the way that I am. This is just my family. If you knew my family, this is how my whole family is. This is, this is how we were, I was raised. This is how I was brought up. I just have, I just have the big personality. I usually don't understand me. I'm just being myself. You know, you do you. I'm just, this is just who I am. Just because we default to a pattern of behavior does not mean we need to act along that pattern. Because there is a power of Christ. The power, there is a power in Christ that we do not have to be like what we've seen. We can become like what we are created for. There is victory in this battle. This is not a battle that you are destined to lose. 
for your entire life. You can have victory in Christ over your flesh. In the war of the corrupted versus the created, the power of God living inside of you is greater than the power of the world around you. Here's what I mean. How many of you guys are summer? You guys are pumped for summer vacations. You guys are. Okay, one of the best things about summer vacations is the pools, specifically when you have children, because then you have hopefully a lazy river. A lazy river is the equivalent of a built-in babysitter for the swimming pool. You all get on, get in your family, and you get in your inner tubes, right? And each kid has an inner tube, so they're just like they're stuck. That current's gonna take them around, and you're like. Check, am I seeing them? They still, heads above water? Good, all right, have fun. And it's awesome because it's so easy. Now the trick about lazy rivers is this though, it takes more effort to get out of them than it takes to get into them. So you, you have these moments that we all do, right? We all have these lazy river moments in our flesh. Oh, I'm gonna go along. Here's the, here's, here's the pattern that I've seen my whole life. Here's what I've always done. I'm gonna go along. I'm going to go along. I'm just floating along the lazy river. This is great. Then all of a sudden, the moment when your kids need to come out of the river, when you need to get out of the river, it's a different ball game, right? You go to the exit. You're, you're floating along. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, hey, we're going out. We're going to time to get out. We're done, right? We're done, right? Oh, we're getting out. Oh, nope. Okay. A child just went on down. We're doing another lap now, family. Here we go again. Okay, okay. One, two, three, four, five. I got all the kids. We're here. Okay, everybody's there. Ready? Who's, oh, nope. Okay, we just lost Asher. Okay, we're going around again. And we get in this pattern where it is more difficult to get out of the river than it is to stay in the river. Our lives are the same way. It is harder to get out of the habits and the patterns that we've established in our flesh than it is just to stay in them. But the victory that we have in Christ enables us to change the way we live. What I love is Paul didn't just write about this battle in Romans chapter 7. He actually, he also wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 4. And what I love about the book of Ephesians, in particular this, this segment of scripture, is this, is that Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church five to ten years later after he wrote the book of Romans. And I love just seeing a little bit of the perspective shift the language tweaks that Paul uses to the church in Ephesus versus the Roman church. In chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, You were taught with regard to the former, your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. These deceitful desires, these are the things that I want to go this way, but somehow now all of a sudden I find myself going this way. And I don't know why. The deceitful desires, the, the trap of the you-do-you mentality. A few weeks ago, I was um, speaking in Bold Youth about this idea and how the phrase you-do-you, which is like this, this cultural phrase of, hey, yeah, be authentic, be yourself. Don't, don't try to be like everybody else. has actually turned into a mask for our immaturity, for a lack of spiritual development. That we don't, we, we want authenticity, but we don't want to be vulnerable and say that maybe me being me is the problem. Yes. Maybe the me being me is the sin at work inside of me, and I'm just doing laps in this lazy river because I just think I'm being myself. We were not called to be ourselves. 
We were called to be transformed from one image of glory to Christ to the next until his return, amen? So there's this moment we have to make a decision. Are we going to put off the old self in order to put on the new self? There's a moment where we have to make a decision. Paul keeps going in verse 23. It says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and in holiness. See, we think, oftentimes we think that if becoming who we want to be in Christ, who, call, who God has created us to be, if we think that it is dependent on our own strength and our own power and our own abilities, we are destined to fail and struggle. Your being transformed into the image that God has created you to be is not possible outside of the supernatural grace and empowering of his Holy Spirit at work inside of you. In order to put on what God has called us to put on, the new self, we have to take off what he has called us to take off. And the excuses are, well, I don't, I don't know how to get out of this pattern. I, I don't have what it takes to change, Nathan. I'm not like them. I'm not like those people, whoever those people are, you know, who, who lift their hands and worship and sing at the top of their lungs. And I can't, I can't, I can't overcome my flesh. I can't experience victory. You can. There's victory for you in Christ Jesus. When Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, he did not do that so that you could continue to live a life of defeat after defeat after defeat. And as the days and the years go on, as we, we get stuck in that lazy river, we find this buildup of shame, of regret, of fear, that we think that this this obstacle is insurmountable somehow. And the lie of shame keeps us from becoming vulnerable with God. It prevents us from becoming vulnerable with our small group, with our friends, with the prayer team. It prevents us from becoming vulnerable. And until we are willing to be vulnerable and open ourselves up for the struggles and the issues and the failings of our own flesh, we're stuck. That's why in the Bible it says that in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. So how do we do this? Where do we start? The first thing you have to do, we have to change our thinking. We have to change our thought processes. How many of you ever heard the phrase, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? You guys with me? Just making sure. Now, the, the crazy part about this is it's a very common saying. Everyone says it. We've heard it. Um, sometimes I make up sayings like this or I say th sayings like this. And my wife says, you're making that up. That's not a real phrase. And then in love, I tell her to Google it. And then I'm vindicated. So there's this moment. I'm kidding. I love you. Anyway, so there's this, this you can't teach an old dog trick. It's basically mean once you get stuck in a way of doing things, it's over. 
That's actually not true anymore. Recently, there's been tons of research on this idea of neuroplasticity, which is basically neuro your mind and plasticity change. It's changeable. So what happens is this, is if you have an old pattern of doing things, an old thought process, an old uh, habit that you just perpetually have done over year, over year, over year, the neurons in your brain actually form basically like a super highway in your mind so that it becomes like muscle memory for you. It happens very, very quickly. You don't even have to process from A to B to C to D to E. It just goes right away for you. But what happens is this. If you will change the way that you think, if you will take every thought captive, like the Bible says, and make it submit to Jesus, make it obedient to Christ, you can actually form new pathways in your mind. Now, here's the incredible part. When you form a new pathway in your mind and you allow that pathway to strengthen and you take those thoughts captive and you change your mind and you're fighting that fight and you keep taking those thoughts captive and you keep making them obedient to Christ over and over again, that pathway becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And the old pathway atrophies. It becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, the amazing part about this is Paul writes about this thousands of years ago in the book of Romans. Paul. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says this. says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul's saying you need to make new your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul's saying, if you can renew your mind, you have taken a step on the pathway to victory. He says, renew your mind. And then he also says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. We need to change our patterns. People in recovery will tell you, you don't just stop a habit, you have to replace a habit. I have a family member who's in recovery and was a functional alcoholic for decades of his life and When he stopped drinking alcohol, when he found freedom in that, he started drinking Diet Coke. He didn't just stop. He replaced one habit with another. Now, there's you can argue the health benefits of that change all you want, but there's a moment where he had to replace a habit. He couldn't just stop one. He had to make something new. He had to form a new habit. And when we look to Jesus... He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. We have these little glimpses, these little moments where we get to see, these little breaking in moments where we get to see who he created us to be, right? We have those little moments in our week, in our months, in our years where we get this little glimpse of, oh man, that is who God created me to be. And I'm not there yet. But I see this little breaking in moment. I see this little opportunity to become who I am in Christ. The created. And it's in our habits that we get to develop. It's in our habits that we get to form spiritual disciplines. It's in our habits that we get to take steps toward Christ. And then all of a sudden, these little moments of of grace that we see breaking in our lives become larger and larger and more consistent over time. We change the way that we think. And when we change the way that we think, we're able to change our habits. We're able to be transformed. 
We can be more free than we are right now. Every single one of us. I can, I, listen, I can be more patient than I am right now. I can be more intentional. I can become less controlling. Ish. But if we know who Jesus created us to be, then we have the pattern. We have the viewpoint. We have the understanding. We can see, okay, this is who Christ created in me. I'm going to transform my mind. I'm going to transform my habits so that I can become who Christ created me to become. In this, the war of the corrupted versus the created, there is a pathway to victory. We change our thoughts, we change our patterns, our habits, and we change our posture. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, he said this, that, that it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride is the one thing that until properly dealt with will keep you stuck in that lazy river. Humility is the antidote to pride. Pride will keep you from seeing your corrupted self. You will minimize your sin. You will minimize the corruption that is at work inside of you. And humility, though, enables us to see the victory that God, that God, create, that God has given you in his son, Jesus. Pride stops you from seeing the corruption, and humility enables you to see who you were created to be, the real you. Because it's not up to you to provide victory. It's up to Jesus. It's up to the power of his Holy Spirit at work inside of you. We give him our yes. And he gives us more grace. That's why in James it actually says this. It says, but he gives us more grace. This is why scripture said, God opposes the proud, but gives more grace to the humble. Like, think about this. This is the wildest idea and, and, and one of the wildest ideas in all of Scripture to me. That God opposes the proud but gives more grace to Scripture. So, so oftentimes when we think about our lives, we think about pride and humility, we think of God kind of like a, a bystander to that fight. Who's going to win, pride or humility? God's just watching. That's not what James says. James says, actually, if you are prideful, if you are not dealing with your pride, God actually is now opposing you and you are trying to push in opposition to God. But when you're humble, he gives you more grace. So he's not just a bystander. He is not passive. You're opposing him or he's your lead blocker. Like, he's going to give you more grace. He's going to give you more supernatural power. He's going to give you more, more strength from his Holy Spirit to have victory. And yet we get this beautiful opportunity to say yes. And yet we're still we're just going around that lazy river. We're just making our loops wondering if we're going to have the strength to get out on our own. I love, we started here with Paul in Ephesians 22. He says, for you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There's an old way. There's an old you that was corrupted by these deceitful desires. And once we put off the old self, now we can put on the new self. The new self where we're vulnerable, we allow God to see our weaknesses because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. The Bible says when I am weak, he is strong. Victory isn't dependent on our strength. Victory is found in our dependence on Jesus. So in the lazy river, when we're going around as a family and we're going around and all of a sudden the kid misses the turn, the kid misses the turn, we're going around again, right? No, 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 that's, that, it doesn't play out like that in my family. You know why? Because there's a father who is strong enough to say, even though my child may get pulled by current, I am strong enough to pull him out and set him on the stairs to pull him out of the current. So when little Asher, 40 pounds soaking wet, says, is about to get pulled and have to go another round. There is a strength found in his father that is strong enough to pull him out. You are a child of God. When you feel like you don't have the strength to go around again, to fight this battle again, to say, I'm not capable of getting out on my own, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. He is able to pull you out of that river. He is able to show himself strong on your behalf. The Bible literally says the, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro on the earth, looking, active word, active verb, looking for those whom he may show himself strong on their behalf. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is a power that is available to you to have victory over your flesh. You are not destined to fail. You are not destined to become your upbringing. You are not destined to become your family members. You are not destined to become what people have said about you. You are not destined to become all the things that ravage your mind at night. There is victory in Christ for you. I'd like you to take just a moment. If you could, just right where you're at, just bow your head and close your eyes. And the reason why I'm asking you to do this is because it's just to create some space. We're so easily distracted by what's happening. This is it's a way of creating a little mental space in, in this moment. And I want, I want to ask you, this is that moment of vulnerability. What's your thing? What's your one thing? As we've talked today and we, we've talked about this battle that's raging inside of us, you can identify your battle. What's your one thing? The moment you think of that thing, just right where you're at, I just want you to just raise your hand just for a second, just for a moment. You don't have to keep it up, just, just for one moment. This is, this is a vulnerable moment, just up and down. Amen, 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 amen. 
Amen. Amen. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. I pray for the power of God at work in their hearts and in their minds. God, I pray that we would transform the way that we think, that we would take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. God, I pray that our patterns, our behaviors, that we've just done over and over again. God, I pray that you would help us transform those patterns. God, and I pray that we wouldn't see our own strength, our own abilities, our own talents as the pathway forward to victory. Jesus, I pray that we see you, your Holy Spirit, your supernatural grace as our pathway to victory. And just right, right where you're at in this room, there's no victory apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians says this, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The starting line of victory is a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you today and you say, Nathan, I want to I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus today. Just again, just right where you're at. If you could just, just raise your hand just for a moment. Just for a moment. Amen. Jesus, I pray for my friends today. God, we bring all that we are to you. All of our sins, all of our shame, all of our mistakes. We bring it to you, the perfect one, the one who lived perfectly, the one who embodies victory over the flesh. God, and we exchange our sin for your righteousness. We exchange the punishment that we deserve for the grace that you've freely given us. So God, we, we give you our lives. And we commit to following you for the rest of our life. You're our King, you're our Lord, and we worship you. In Jesus' name. Ready church said amen. Amen. Can we put our hands together for everyone as we stand to our feet, everyone who made that prayer today. Let's stand on our feet. And as the worship team's coming, I want to encourage you if if you said yes to Jesus today, if you, you said you want to begin a relationship with him, there's a, a card right in your service guide that says, I have decided. So whether you're online or in the room, I want to encourage you, take a moment, fill this card out, put it in the offering bucket as that goes by, or you can drop it to the info center later. Our hope is that as you do life together at Radiant Church, as you follow Jesus, that we can help surround you with people who can help you experience a victory. We know that your first step isn't your last step, so we want to be there for you. We want to walk with you. Amen? Amen, Radiant.
We love you. Hey, can we give a big hand to Pastor Nathan? Come on, you're getting better than that. What a great job. Amen. Let's pray over our, our tithes and offerings. Father, we love you. And Jesus, we thank you for what you're doing in each one of us. And God, we ask, Lord, that we would walk in victory. Holy Spirit, strengthen us. And God, we ask that this word would grow inside of us. Now, God, take what we give. God, I just thank you for every giver, every tither. God, I thank you for everyone that's giving to this The Future is Radiant journey as we believe God for this new building. Father, we're asking, Lord Jesus, that this space that you're giving us, Lord God, would be used for generations to come, every square foot. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, I pray for a place to pray. I pray for a place of young people gathering and seeking God. I pray that we would gather on Sundays in a space where we can declare worthy is the Lamb. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, continue that miracle. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've, you've created a people. You've turned us into a people. And we pray, Lord God, for this house that you have for us. Now, God, take what we give. Use it, Lord God. God, I pray for our team in Nepal, our team right now going house to house, our team right now doing prayer meetings. We ask, Lord Jesus, strengthen them, bless them, be with them. Thank you for Tim Montgomery and his leadership. God, we love you. We love being your people. We love being friends of God. We love being your church. God, take what we give. Use it in Jesus.